Good morning. Good to see you guys. We're on storm watch here in Southern California. <laughs> if you have a Bible, you're going to want to hold a spot in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we're starting a new series called More of That, and uh, we'll, we'll dive into what the series is all about in a second. But first, I want to just sort of start with a story. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but if, if you, when you were dating your wife or just your first kind of serious relationship, when you're a dude, you're looking for signals. Amen? You're just kind of looking to see what works, what doesn't work, because you got to win your, your, your princess's heart, right? So uh, when I first started dating my wife now, Chrissy, of 30 years in a row, um, <laughs> but when we first kind of bumped into each other at UCLA, and we first started dating, it, it's, you know, you're kind of feeling it out, you know, you kind of realize there's feelings on the other side, and, and then uh, we, we met for coffee one time uh, while we were both on campus, right at the, like the first week, we stopped being friends, and we sort of started dating, and, uh, and I said, how are you? And she said, well, I saw this jacket at Ann Taylor in Westwood, but, you know, it was a little too expensive, and... I, you know, and, you know, she, she doesn't know me, right? She doesn't know me. But I'm, like, collecting data. Like, as she's talking, I'm like, I literally have a pencil underneath. I'm like, oh, really? Where was the jacket? Oh, what color was it? What size was it? And, um, and so we finished our conversation, and she went to class, and I went to Ann Taylor. And uh, when she came back from class, yes, men, there was a little bag on her bed in her apartment and um, you know check that one off but I realized then at the very first week that my wife really loves like gifts like things that remind her that someone else is thinking of her right and so uh, that was data and so uh, after that experience it was kind of like well more of that you know that, that that hasn't stopped for 30 years it's just one of those things where I know it's like, hey, more of that. Like, and it doesn't have to be big. It's not, it's just, are you thinking of me, you know, in, in relationships? So in relationships, when you want to honor and please uh, someone, uh, you got to have your, your radar on for, for, for what makes them happy, right? And in the Bible, there are many, many stories where, where there are men involved uh, and, and there's a compare and a contrast in, in a story of men trying to relate to God. And, uh, and, and one, one dude is, is really pleasing the Lord, and the other, not so much, and, or is not obeying the Lord. And in those stories, you see God very clearly saying, less of that and more of that. Okay? And so that's what we're going to do in this series. In, in part one, we're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel. We're going to see where God says, hey, more of that. We're going to look at two guys in the Old Testament named Samuel and Samson. All right? And we're going to see God say, hey, more of that and less of that. We're going to look at David and Saul. And we're going to see God say, hey, more of that and less of that. And we're going to look at Jesus and the religious guys of his time. And it's very clear. Through the mouth of Jesus, more of this and less of this. You know, Because if we want to be thoughtful believers and you read the Bible you got to look at the places where God says, I love that. Yes, more of that. 
So um, on your notes, or if you have a Bible, you want to open it up to Genesis chapter 4. We're just going to look at a situation. We're actually going to look at the first family, like the original first family. All right? There's Adam, there's Eve, there's Cain, there's Abel. All right? And we're going to look at some, uh, some family dynamics, and we're going to discover that sometimes um, uh, sibling rivalries can lead to, to destructive actions. So let's just pick up the story, and then we'll unpack it, all right? More of that, Cain and Abel. Uh, now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve. Can we get an amen? All right. She became pregnant. Uh, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I've produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flocks. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So certainly, you have a situation where you have a family, and in that, that family, they know the Lord, okay? They know the Lord, and it's clearly... Uh, a part of their family culture to worship God. And in the first family, it was customary to bring offerings uh, to God. And we see uh, a little disparity uh, between the, the heart and the attitude of Abel and Cain. And so let's unpack just four themes, easy to see, where we could really clearly see God saying, hey, more of this and less of this. The first thing we want to look at is, am I giving my very best or just the rest? I want you to see that. Am I giving my very best, or is it just kind of part of the rest? Um, if you look in the text, verses 3 and 4, let's read verses 3 and 4. I put it on your notes right there. I condensed it there. Ready? Cain presented some of his crops. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flocks. You know, when you, when you, when you ask yourself, so why was, why was Cain's worship not, not, not accepted? Why was Abel's accepted? And you, you kind of can just pretty much glean it from, from the text. You're just like, hey, Cain ran out and got some stuff and brought it to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, what did he do? He brought what? The best. The best. And it goes to kind of a mentality that that goes, that connects the mind and the heart when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. You know, the, God's, the, the, what's given isn't as important as the motivations and the thoughts behind it, right? You see uh, Cain, you know, giving some of his stuff. Abel's like, you know what? I got to find the, the best of what I have, you know? And when you think about your relationship, you know, with God, this is really important. Um, because, you know, if, if, you, if you're in a relationship, do you want the best from the person you're in relationship or the leftovers? 
yeah, you want the best, you know? And, you know, just as a, a men's pastor for the last 25 years, you know, you hear that complaint uh, where men will give their very best to their career. They'll give their very best to everyone else outside the family. They'll give their very best efforts, their very best energy, their very best excellence, their very best encouragement. And then when they come home, uh, and they don't do the same thing. And um, in your relationship with God, uh, because he's relational and because he's a person, uh, he could feel and does feel the very same way. He notices those things too in the relationship where we're giving our very best to everything else. We're overthinking stuff. We're thinking about the implications and all this stuff. And then we come back to our relationship with God on a Sunday or maybe a Thursday morning or whatever. And... Um, and, and God just like, okay, am I, am I getting the leftovers? You know, your, your, your heart, your soul, your mind is really dedicated over here. Uh, and then, you know, I get a little time here. And, and so this is really an important theme. Am I giving my very best to God or just the rest? See, what you see in this passage is the heart of God. It's like, he, it's not so much, you know, uh, whether it's vegetables or whether it's, fat portions from the best of the flock. It's really uh, about uh, what, what's, what's being delivered to me. Now, in the Bible, it talks a lot about um, how our lives are an offering, okay? How your life is an offering. Romans chapter 12, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. In Colossians chapter 3, which is on your notes, it says this. Let's read it together. Ready? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So while we like to compartmentalize, men are really good at that, okay? Where, okay, I have my, 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 my recreational life, I have my professional life, I have my spiritual life. It's in all these boxes. Does the Lord have any boxes? No, no, it's all, it all counts. It's all sacred. Everything's sacred, He's saying, so in whatever you do, wherever you are, whoever you with, that, that your life is the offering. And the Bible says, you know what? Work at it with, with all your heart. You know, so instead of either coming to Bible study or just coming to church or then, then going back home to the family and, and then going to your job, all right, uh, it's, not, it's not separate things that you're involved in and, and God's a piece of all the things you're involved in. No, it's all uh, an act of worship. And, and God's saying, I want you to give me your very best. If you're, if you're looking at your notes, just circle, work at it with all your heart. Excellence, energy, emotion, whatever it is that, that you're doing, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. You know, it's really interesting, in, um, especially in the West, when people become Christians and they run a business. And they put one of those little symbols on their business card, okay? Looks like this, all right? And they want everybody to know that, that they're a follower of Jesus. The question is, do they do 
things with excellence, all right? Do they take care of the customer? Do they, um, you know, do they provide an awesome service and, and all that? And, and again, it's not about people. It's about a relationship with God and doing things uh, with excellence there and with the right spirit. Um, the, the, the service itself um, has to be good too. Um, look at the, the, what the Bible says here in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Let's read it together. Ready? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You know, I was looking at this, and I wonder if the writer of Proverbs knew this story of Cain and Abel, because, you know, it says, honor the Lord from your wealth. This is a, a passage on first fruits giving, but it says it's a principle as well. With the first fruits of all your crops. When you look at what, what Cain gave to God, it says Cain presented some of his crops. Abel gave the first portions, you know, the best, the very best. Cain gave some of his crops. And, and this principle right here, first fruits, um, what, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's your money or your emotions or your time. The Lord is first. Let's say that together. The Lord is first. He's first. He gets to be first. He's God. It's Jesus. So in the story, we see God not accepting Cain's gift, accepting Abel's gift. We've got to say, okay, why? Uh, that's because um, you know, Abel gave his very best. So what's the Lord saying to us this morning? Very simple. Are you giving your very best or are you giving God the leftovers? Okay, just think on that. Um, secondly, we've got to look at how do my intentions stack up against my actions, all right? Intentions versus actions. So my very best versus just the rest. And then my intentions versus my actions. So in verses 4 and 5, it says, uh, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And you go, okay, what's going on? All right, well, again, we got to understand the Lord. Let's read Proverbs 16.2. Ready? People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their... Yeah. It, it's, it's not how I present myself. It's not my image. It's not my words, uh, even though I can make those all fit a situation, especially when it comes to God. He's looking past my actions, past the product, all right, and right into my heart. And when you see this passage, you go, you know what? The Lord's saying, I want the right motive. The right action is good. But I want the right motive. You, you see this in the heart of Jesus when he's talking with the, the religious guys of his time. He said, Isaiah was right about you. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Okay? You know, God wants integrity. Everybody say integrity. Okay, so what does integrity mean? Math word, integer, it means whole. Right? Undivided. So God wants your, your heart undivided, right, from your actions. And when there is a division between your heart and your motives, right, and your actions, right, that's not pleasing to God. Now, in the, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, as he was uh, planting churches and winning people to Christ and helping new believers grow, um, he, he, he came in contact with uh, a group of believers in the city of Corinth where they, they would kind of compare him to other people. 
And uh, it's an interesting discussion. It's right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But it goes to intentions versus actions. Listen to what he says. But to me, it's a very small thing that I am examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. Let's finish it together. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So, so Paul is just saying, you know what? Um, I know that you're, you're analyzing me. I know that you're comparing me with other people. Um, I'm, it's not important to me that you do that. I know the person who examines me and who examines my heart. And this is, what God's, this is what God's looking at. So just like God it was looking at Cain's heart, and just like God was looking at the apostle Paul's heart, and man, it, and I, I love his honesty. He says, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that I didn't do anything wrong, but I, that doesn't make me innocent. The one who examines me is the Lord. It's just, it's very difficult sometimes to know your own motives. It's hard. You know, we have mixed motives for why we do certain things. And, uh, but God's staring right into uh, the heart. And, and so that means that we just have to think and pause just for a second as we're looking at the story of Cain and Abel and, and how Abel gave his very best and how Abel's intentions were right. And we have to see the heart of God and we say, man, I'm going to give God my very best. And you know what? My heart has to be right there with my actions. That's more important to God than anything, all right, versus going through the motions, all right? Look what it says in, in James chapter 4. It goes to our relationship with God. Let's read it together. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Sometimes, and I'm, I'm guilty of this sometimes, sometimes my prayers, um, you know, they reflect, and I can couch them up in, in fancy spiritual words, Okay? But sometimes my prayers, because God sees my heart, my motives are all off, you know, especially, you know, when, when, when it comes to getting my needs met, all right? And, and this is a real place of spiritual growth. I think there's room for all of us to grow in this area, right? Just knowing our hearts uh, when we pray and when we talk to God. And, you know, in the Bible, it, it says, you know, you, when you ask, you don't get it uh, because your motives are wrong. Now, sometimes when we pray... And God says no, it's because he's protecting us from what we cannot see, all right? Sometimes it's a not yet. So sometimes it's no, because I know what's better. Sometimes it's a not yet, all right, because it's not the right timing. But sometimes it's because he sees what our real attachment is to the prayers that we're praying in our hearts. Where it's like, oh, you, you know, this, this is more about, you don't know this, but this is more about you than the actual prayer, or this is about your relief versus my plan, okay? And so if some of you uh, are, are, are really seeking the Lord and, you know, it's, it's a wise thing to do, just go, okay, what's my motive? What's really the motive? Do I want God's plan more than anything? Do I want God's purpose more than anything? Or are these prayers more about me or my image or or my, my relief, or it's, it's really important in a relationship with God to examine yourself 
all right, before the Lord and let him, more importantly, examine you. So everybody say, my very best. Say, my intentions. Now say, my responses. Okay, so I got to look at my responses versus my reactions. You know, you've heard that. It's a little cliche. Just like, you know what? How are you responding? Or are you reacting? Right? Because when, especially when you're confronted, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of being confronted. How about you? Not my favorite, especially when there's a five foot four brunette doing the confronting. Okay? It makes me squirm a little bit. All right? But, you know, it's those moments, you know, moments of truth, right? And we got this moment of truth where God confronts. Cain, and he, he doesn't confront him to punish him. Let's be clear. All he's saying is, you know what? You should go back and do that again. That's all he's saying. Look at what the Bible says in verses 6 and 7. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Let's finish it together. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. How many of you have ever had a moment like that where you get confronted and um, it's you that's being called on the carpet and you have a choice? I can react with humility and I can take responsibility and maybe I can say I'm sorry and go back and do the right thing or I can act in pride and refuse to take responsibility, and then I, because I feel bad that I've made a mistake, okay, now I don't want to wear that, that, that shame or whatever, so now I got to get rid of it. So now what do I do? Woo! I got to, it comes out. The primary response to, to shame over being confronted is anger, all right? Just know that. You can either go in humility when you get confronted and go, you know what, you're right. That was wrong. I'm sorry. What can I do to make it right? Okay. That would have create that that creates peace, that response, with God and with people. All right. But uh, a lot of the times it's just like, oh man, I don't want to bear the the responsibility of being wrong. So guess who's wrong? You are. Or I'm pushing it off. In Cain's in Cain's situation, he he didn't he didn't project his anger back at God. He projected it on his perceived source of his shame, which was Abel, all right? So he didn't respond, he reacted, all right? Cain goes to DEFCON 5 in like two seconds, and he can't get out of it. Have you ever been so angry where you just can't get out of it? Where it's just like, boom, it's a trigger. All of us have triggers, okay? It's a trigger, bang, and we just, we react, and then we, it's almost like having an out-of-body experience. We're not responding, and this is where when you're a man of God, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not stimulus response, I mean, it's stimulus reaction, it's stimulus pause response. That's the sign of maturity, right? Toddlers react, all right? It's a, it's a sign of maturity. If you're a reactor, it's a sign of maturity, all right? Adults, usually, we expect them to have the capacity to, okay, even when confronted by surprise or even, you know, it's like, okay, well, 
All right, I know how I'm feeling inside, not liking all this. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to I shove it away. It doesn't feel good. That's what we do. It doesn't feel really good. Um, but that's when we have to go, all right, God's in control. God loves me. God's allowing this. You know? and, and guys, that's the pathway to growth. The, the, the moments of highest growth are not when everybody's saying they love you. The moments of highest growth, which God allows is when perhaps they're saying, we love you so much, you know, we got we to point that out, right? That's happened to me. You know, I, I remember getting asked to lunch by two people I worked with, and they said, you know, hey, you know, after the, all the small talk, and they're just like, hey, we're, we're here because we see something in you, and it's not good. And oh my gosh, you ever heard that Southwest Airlines commercial, want to get away? And God was just like, just like, it was just like, had his hand on me. Just like, you need to hear this. And I was sitting there, and it was like having open heart emotional surgery, and they had your heart, and we're going, <laughs> just, play, just playing around with it, you know, and you're just like sitting there, you know, with the, the retractors open, you're like, what's going on? But I'll tell you what, I thank God for that. I thank God for it. Because, you know, sometimes we have blind spots, amen? Looking around the room, some of us have bald spots. <laughs> but all of us have blind spots. And guess what? You can't, cannot stand in your own blind spot. It is impossible, okay? That's why we have guys at the table. That's why we have friends. That's why we have spouses who love us. They help us to see the things in us. And, you know, that's where God's just like, dude, you got a blind spot, like, what, what's, what's up with that, all right? Just hang on. If it just, I'm, I'm pressing the pause button for you because you've gone to DEFCON 5, all right? So I'm going to press, God says, I'm going to press the pause button for you. Just go back and do what's right, and your offering will be accepted, will be good. But I just want to make sure that you know that I'm more concerned about your attitude in worship, you know? Versus your actions in worship. And guess what? If you don't get a hold of your reactions, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. The picture, you ever seen those like old ancient buildings with gargoyles on the outside? That's the image. So we're having a conversation in here. Based on what happens in here, it might be a tough moment, might be uncomfortable. But man, if you walk out that door thinking the way you're thinking, the same the same, guess what's going to happen? And in the Old Testament, a lot of the prophets would talk about when uh, a man or, a, or God's people would continue thinking wrongly, walking out of a conversation with God, it would, it would talk about, and the lion is right outside, or the, the wolf is ready to tear you apart, all right? It, it's a metaphor for when you miss a moment that you could grow so much with God, and it's uncomfortable and if you walk out of there in, in, in pride and independence versus humility, right, and dependence on God, bad stuff's going to happen. And God's warning him, okay, if just really go back. And, of course, we read in the text, you know, it's just like you're going to be out of control. Your anger, your anxiety, your fear, whatever's going on inside, that's going to be driving the bus. And, um, but you, I love the language, but you must subdue it 
and be its master. You know the sign of emotional maturity in a marriage, in a friendship, in a business or whatever, in a leader is that, um, is that he's a responder, not a reactor. And all you guys are leaders, all right? And God's given you the power through the Holy Spirit. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-discipline or a sound mind, right? One of the fruits of the Spirit, right, is self-what? Control, that's right? But we gotta, when you're walking with God and you have a moment that might make you uncomfortable, all right, stimulus, pause. Okay, God, what, what's going on? Just don't react, all right? And then respond, work with God. But Cain didn't want to work with God, all right? And the consequences were paid. Look what it says in Proverbs 22, verse 4. Let's, let's read that together. Ready? The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life, okay? You see, there is so much blessing that is possible in that moment. And it's either, you know, okay, God, I hear what you're saying, humble, humility, or it's, I know better. That's pride. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. That's what Cain said. Hey, thanks, but no thanks. Wait, don't do that. Hey, thanks, but no thanks. I got this. Or it's fear. It's, I know how to, I know how to get my needs met better. And pride and fear are just two sides of the same coin, okay? Um, but God wants humility. And so do you see how much is at stake when you have a moment where God kind of confronts? And, and if, if you respond the right way and don't react, um, riches, honor, life. It's just a picture of blessing. Now, in the Bible, there's a, a guy who really learned this lesson. His name's Nebuchadnezzar. You read in Daniel chapter 4 how Nebuchadnezzar is, is the CEO of the largest empire at the time, okay? And he has a dream, and it bothers him, and the dream is of a big tree, and the tree gets cut down. It's just like this massive tree. Just imagine, just this huge tree. It's getting cut down, and, it's, and, and what's left is just the stump. And his pagan advisors don't know how to tell him what's going on, but someone says, oh, there's a guy that we have. Uh, he's, a, he's a Jew, uh, and he's going to tell you what your dream is. And, of course, he brings in Daniel, and Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, are you sitting down? Because I'm going to tell you exactly what this is. He goes, that tree is you. And uh, he says, if you don't acknowledge the God of heaven, and if you don't humble yourself, and if you don't, and just lays it out. And Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, thanks, but no thanks. And then he walks out on his portico, and he says, behold, my kingdom and my glory, and my, which my, my glory and my power have built. So Nebuchadnezzar misses the moment. He walks out of the, the moment of truth. There it is. He's crouching at the door. Here Now judgment falls on him, and for seven years, he loses everything, turns into a homeless person. His, I mean, just imagine, you know, just... The, the dirt, they said his nails look like claws. And then he has his aha moment, and he looks up. And he, he does, seven years later, what he should have done in that moment. And the prayer of Nebuchadnezzar having his aha moment with God is one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the Bible. It's the prayer of a man who was walking in pride, and God humbled him, 
and then he, he acknowledged what he did. He responded to God, and then he got blessed. But this, this is the last line of his prayer. Let's read it together. Daniel 4.37. Ready? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. You know, I bet you if Nebuchadnezzar, you know, hindsight is what? 2020. We don't have foresight, okay? We don't have crystal balls. We're not God. We can't see the future. So when you're in a moment of truth, whether you're reading your Bible and you get confronted by God here, whether you're sitting in church and you're listening to the Word of God being preached and you feel conviction that that's me, or whether some guys at your table sit you down over coffee and just go, man, we're really concerned about you, like what happened to me. You have an opportunity right in that moment, and you, don't, you can't see it, but you know, what does God want in that moment, all right? He wants humility, because if it's true and it's about you, it's God, because all truth is God's truth. Let's say that together. All truth is God's truth. So if it's true, Jesus said, I'm the truth. So we have to get good in those moments at humbling ourselves before the truth, okay? Because it doesn't matter who the messenger is, all right? If it's true, it's the Lord trying to talk to you, all right? Look at what it says here in 1 Peter 5, uh, uh, verses 5 through 7. Let's read it together. Ready? For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. You know... This picture of, of being in, in, in the hand, right, of Almighty God. You know, in, in Isaiah, the image is of potter and clay, right? Who has the vision for what the clay is going to be? Yeah, the potter. God does, all right? So, but does the potter have to kind of get that thing on the wheel and it starts off kind of lumpy and... And then he has to turn and throw some water on there and shape it. And, you know, you know, being clay means being malleable. Being clay means being flexible. Being clay. And you know what? Sometimes uh, when it's uncomfortable, that's the potter. He has the vision for what he sees. And we just need to, to trust the hands of the potter. And, you know, this whole picture of... Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. You see what the next thing is after the humbling, the humbling of ourselves? He, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So it's like, okay, I need to, in this moment of, of discomfort or trust uh, with God where I'm being confronted like Cain is about me, what am I supposed to do? Well, just know that Whatever I'm anxious about, all right, in being confronted, I can give that to God, and then I can know something about what God is up to. It says, casting all your anxiety on him because he what? Yeah, circle that. Anytime God confronts you, just like he confronted Cain, it's not a stab to kill. It's a cut to heal. You know, my brother Christian, he's a surgeon. He's done over 20,000 surgeries. People give him gifts for cutting on them. 
Get the picture? God's not an assassin, all right, out to kill you when he confronts you, all right? He's out to help you improve your relationship with him and with people. Now, some of you walked into this study this morning, and there's fracture or fragmentation in relationships, you know? For some of you, it's an abiding thing. You're always having to, to manage, you know, your relationships, like spinning plates, you know, and where you got to get this one going, and then you got to get that one going, and then you run across the room, and you get that one going, and then you spin that one, and, you know, and you're trying not to let the relationships fall apart, all right? And God's trying to, to, to say, hey, you know what? I'm, if your relationships are fragmenting, that is a, a sign uh, that, that something's up with me, okay? Because if you're in right relationship with God, the, the net effect of that is that you should be loving and taking care of people pretty well. But if there's a, something going on there, Cain had a problem here. He didn't think he did. But Cain had a problem here, and then it turned into a huge problem here. Okay? So that's something that God definitely wants us all uh, to look at. All right? God's, God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And a lot of times, you know, I know I do this. I give myself a lot more credit than I should. I just, I think, oh, everything's going great. And I'm, no, then God will confront me. And that's when I have to respond versus react. All right, last theme here. I have to look at my competing versus connecting. All right? I got to look at my competing versus connecting. I got to give God my very best, look at my intentions. I need to look at my responses when I'm confronted. And then I need to look at my competing versus connecting. Uh, verse 8, I have the little phrase right there on your notes. Let's read that together. Cain attacked, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up with, there's five boys in our house, so that is like the octagon. I mean, it was like we were always competing with each other. I mean, like you walk down the long hallway in the luck house, it's like, Inspector Clouseau and Cato. Like the young guys are like, who is Inspector Clouseau and who is Cato? All right? All right. It's from the Pink Panther movie series. I just dated myself totally. But do you remember that where, where it, yeah, <laughs> where Inspector Clouseau would come home and he had like this manservant and the manservant's only job was to attack him and try to ambush him, right? And uh, just to kind of keep him on, on his toes. But, you know, as, as dudes... You know, it, it starts at the playground. It's sort of like, okay, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? Who's getting the attention? Who's getting the recognition? And then we're just like, all right, I'm going to do that better than the other dude, and then I'll be on top, all right? It's just human nature, all right? And Cain in this, he does the same thing. So God rejects his offering, and then he just like starts comparing. And when he starts comparing his offering to Abel's offering, now he starts competing, and competing in its unhealthy form leads to and destruction. Com competition is awesome on the field, on the basketball court, in the octagon, wherever sport is. Don't get me wrong. That's one of my strength profiles is competition. I love competition, all right? It's horrible for relationships. It's horrible. And, and so in this in this vignette that we're looking at, um, God's just like, dude, stop competing with man and start connecting with me. It isn't about 
your brother. You know, your spiritual life is a relationship with God, not trying to look better than other people, all right? And uh, we see that in the New Testament with Jesus and the Pharisees. You know, they're always just, man, it's like a, there's first-class believers with them, and they're second-class people. And they always reminded other people that they were in the A position, and everybody else was down here, all right? And you look at how Jesus treated them. Man, they made religion a competition. I will outwork you, all right? Again, that works on the basketball court. That works in the gym. That works in sport. It's horrible for relationships, okay? Look at what the Bible says here in Proverbs 29, 25, 26. Let's read together. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Either you're competing with man or you're connecting with God, all right? Either we're like, okay, where am I in the pecking order? How am I doing? Uh, I, can, I can focus on that. I can want, strive for professional acceptance and social acceptance and validation and Instagram followers and all that social media stuff, or I can be more concerned with this, all right? Not saying that, that those other things are bad in and of themselves, they're not, all right? But we have to be careful because when we make it about men and looking good in front of men, all right, we start to lose our relationship with God. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 14 in verses 17 and 18. Let's read that together. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, that whole metaphor of the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, that's like when, when, people, uh, when people who are receiving this letter, that's what religion was kind of about. It's what you did or didn't do. It was a performance thing. And people were watching what you did and how you looked and how you appeared, right? And, uh, and, and so the Apostle Paul is just going, hey, it's not about the whole competition thing or the performance thing or looking religious or a bunch of behaviors. He just goes, here's the litmus test. Here's the acid test. Do you have peace? What's, what's the kingdom of God all about? It's about righteousness. It's about character. It's about peace. It's about joy, all right? That's, that's how you know you're in a, in a right relationship with God. Right? And then if you make it about that, about relationship, all right, if you make it about relationship, you serve Christ in that way, that's acceptable to God and approved by men. So you get, you know, you aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in, right? That's an old C.S. Lewis quote. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in, all right? So we look back at this first family situation and we look at two men and we see one guy, he's got, the right, he's got the right attitude about what he gives to God. He gives to God his what? His very best, right? Gives God his very best, right? He, he knows that, um, and then in this, in this vignette, you see that God's just kind of, he's not concerned so much about what's given. He's looking at the heart. So we got to look at our intentions uh, versus just our actions. And then we got to look at our responses, all right, versus our reactions. When, God, when we get confronted, it's a real telling thing, all right? We've got to look at that. And then we've got to see, hey, man, are we competing uh, with, uh, with men among men, or are we connecting um, with God, all right? Now, here's a last verse, 
from 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, I put the header over it, looking back to look forward. Look at uh, what the Apostle Paul says about some of these examples or just examples uh, you know, in, in the Hebrew Scripture that are for us today. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under a cloud, under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual walk, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Let's finish it together. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. The reason I put that there is that's kind of the headline for this series. We're looking back to look forward, all right? And the Bible says of itself, these examples whether it's Cain or Abel or Samuel or Samson or David or Saul or even Jesus and the religious guys every time, those are examples for us. And when you read the Bible, you have to look at those and just kind of study them and go, you know what? I really see God saying more of that. That's what I love. All right. Now let's bow our heads and let's ask God to, to apply this lesson from his word today. God, thank you so much that your word is clear Thank you that the story of Cain and Abel is very transparent. And we would, you know, love to say, man, we're like Abel all the time. I know that I can't say that. And a lot of times I'm like Cain. I react. And those reactions tell me that something's up inside of me that you would like to address in my life. So, Lord, help us to develop into men where there is less Cain and more Abel, where we give you our very best, where our heart attitude toward you is in the right space, Lord, where we respond to you when confronted versus react, and Lord, where we don't destroy people, Lord, but we make it about connecting with you. God, thank you that your grace has eliminated all competition. Thank you that your love will never leave us. Thank you that nothing can separate us from you uh, and, your, and your love. You promised it. And that, that means that we can now engage in the process of growth because you'll always love us. In Jesus' name we pray and God's men said, amen.